everybody, Dave Therrien here. Thank you for joining me today. We're going through the first epistle of John, learning some pretty interesting things, I think. By the way, you can catch us at newhoperadio.live, YouTube and Facebook, and uh, later on, the whole Club podcast as well. And studying this little epistle, you know, it's a short letter, but man, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. And uh, we're learning some things. That's why we study, right? We want to learn. We noted that there are three things, let's see if you remember, three things every Christian needs not only to know, but to be convinced of. What are those three things? Number one, the assurance of your salvation. You've got to be convinced of that. Number two, the love of God. How much He really loves you. Oh, you've got to be convinced of that, that's for sure. And then number three, the danger of false teachings. Three major areas of our Christian walk that we need to be pretty well knowledgeable. We noted the letter is divided into three main sections. We already talked about what does it mean to walk in the light. There's the test of divine sonship, which we're going to see this time around. And then we wrap it up with the correlation of righteousness, love, and belief. Again, simple things, but John wants his readers to understand that these are the basics of the Christian life. It's what makes the Christian life real and practical. And he's saying, here's how we get it done. Do righteousness. Love one another. Believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, especially in the light of the false teachings of Gnosticism that claim God never came in the flesh because all material matter is evil. So John is um, confronting that belief here in this letter. And like I said, it's around today. Oh, yeah. It's around today where people believe intellectualism is the highest level of Christianity. It's not. You know what Paul said? The goal of our instruction is love. Love is the highest level of our Christianity. So we talked about also having fellowship with God. How do you do that? Recognition and confession of your sin. Then you receive the cleansing power through the blood of Christ. Realizing that Jesus makes intercession for you. That's good. He's on your side. And then we talked about walking in the light. You know, light, it reveals two things. Number one, it reveals your sin. And number two, it reveals your duty, your obedience as a follower of Christ. So, okay, when the light reveals your sin, don't be condemned. The purpose of light is to reveal. You cannot change what you cannot see. So if we don't let light reveal things about us, how can we change them? How can we get better at them? So, again, falling back on Jesus intercedes for me. Falling back on the blood of Christ cleanses me from my sin. If I confess it and acknowledge it, I'm in a good place. 
and then I can see my sin, and then I can improve that area of my life and go on from there. Okay? That's all the practical side of Christianity. Today we look at the test of divine sonship. And again, Paul had to prove this. I mean, John. John had to prove this. How do we really know that Jesus Christ exists? I believe divine sonship is tested in three ways. Number one, righteousness. Number two, love. And number three, belief. Okay, let's look at them. How righteousness is revealed. First of all, it's revealed through regeneration. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, here's what John said, speaking about Christ. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Think about that. You get to have some fruit in the pudding. If you're truly born of Christ, there will be works of righteousness in your life because Christ is righteous. Okay? Now, again, remember, I'm going to keep going back to the Gnostics. They didn't appreciate practical righteousness. They're like, oh, man, we're not into living like that. Why? Because if matter was evil, the human body was evil. It was hopeless. He couldn't do anything with it. So let's just have a head trip with God and do what we want with our body. Hey, if our body is a body of sin, well, let's just go have fun. And let's worship God with our head. That was their religion. But yet, it's living righteously that gives evidence of the Christian way of life within you. See, there's got to be fruit. Even John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay? So, this righteousness... It's the practical side of your Christian walk, living in righteousness. Why? Because Christ was righteous. He's inside of you. So therefore, I live righteously. Now, that's how righteousness is revealed. Secondly, we have a hidden potential. It's in the future. And John said in 1 John 3, 2, he said, Beloved, remember now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to you. Beloved. Now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. But when he appears, oh, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. I'm like, oh, one day we will see Jesus. That's our hidden potential. It's in our future. Right now he's inside of us and we walk righteously, but one day we're going to see him for who he really is, okay? So we have a promising future. That's okay. That's good. Thirdly, there is also a moral likeness to Christ. Again, Christ came, he had a body. In his physical body, he lived righteously. That's what John is defending here. In verse 3, everyone who has this hope, the hope of the future, right, fixed on him, purifies himself, just as Christ is pure. So think about it. Having the hope of heaven, and the word hope, it means a certainty. It's the guarantee of heaven. As you embrace that, you purify yourself as Christ is pure. Say, wait a minute, how do I purify myself? You know why? Because you see the goal. 
And you know what you're doing? You're like a runner with his eye on the finish line. And what's that runner doing? He's running. He's running to the finish line. He's not stopping at 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee. He's running. He's not going to break his stride. He has a hope that is fixed on the goal. And when you've got your hope fixed on heaven, let me tell you something. You're going to live in such a way that the only thing that matters is living right for Christ. Because you know where you're going. That's the beauty of it. See? So yes, it is. It starts off with knowledge, but it turns into practicality. Okay? The mission of his righteousness is it found in verse 5. I believe we're in John 3. Uh, chapter three, verse three, uh, chapter three. You know that Christ appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, oh, there is no sin. That was his mission. One of the things he came to do, I'm taking away sin and I'm going to, I'm going to get the victory and then I'm going to share the victory with all those that believe in me. So we have the victory over the power of sin. Before salvation, sin was in control. Because we only had a sin nature. After salvation, you have a divine nature. Oh, who's in control? Well, it's a battle. Oh, yeah, it's a battle. It's a tug of war. And which nature wins? The one you feed. If you feed the sin nature, it's going to get really strong. If you feed your divine nature, it's going to get really strong. And that's the one that will win. The one you feed. Okay, so Jesus came to to take away the power of the sin nature, and you know what else? To destroy the works of that dirty devil. Oh yeah, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He said it himself, that in verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Satan has lost the battle. He's out on bail, but he's going to court. And when he gets to court at the judgment of the great white throne, he's going to receive his sentence, his sentence into the eternal lake of fire. So right now he's out on bail. That's okay. He's having his way, but we still have the victory. And don't forget that. Okay. So another way of demonstrating this righteousness is when we show the distinction between the two children. Say, what? What two children? Well, again, back in verse 10, by this, John said, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Oh, we got two families here. God's family has children. The devil's family has children. And it's obvious who's in what family. And then he says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So we're back to where we started right? Christ is righteous. He's inside of us. We live righteously. If those do not live righteously, then they are not of God. They are not, uh uh-oh, in the family of God. Then therefore, they must be in the family of Satan. Wow. That's pretty direct. John is really letting him have it. He's telling these people, listen, man, you guys, you better be serious about Christ. Because if you're not, you're in deep trouble. So, when you think of righteousness, it not only considers the positional righteousness that Jesus provides for all those that believe in him, 
But it also speaks of the righteous acts of the saints. See, righteousness is not just positional. It's also experiential. As a matter of fact, John commented later in his last book, Revelation 19, verse 8, speaking about the church, it was given to her, or the bride of Christ, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the, here it comes, righteous acts of the saints. There it is. Our wedding garment is based on the righteous acts that we produced on the earth. Very contrary to Gnosticism, they didn't have any. (laughs) They didn't have any righteous acts. They're not even going to be at the wedding. Don't you worry about that. They're not even going to be guests at the wedding. They're not, they're not even going to be outside looking through the windows. They're going to be nowhere around. So divine sonship is a reality demonstrated by righteousness. Secondly, divine sonship is also tested by love. There's a practical kind of love continued from verse 10. Let's go back. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Wow. If we don't live in God's love toward others, guess what? Then we don't have the righteousness of Christ. That can be a real wake-up call for some people. You know, people can go to church every week. Oh, yeah. They can sing the loudest. Oh, yeah. They can do it all. But if they don't love, John's saying, you're not there. Love is the telltale sign that you have the righteousness of Christ. And then he said in verse 11, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's, that's, it's always been about that. It's always been about love. And as Paul said, the goal of our instruction is love. Now we think of Cain, right? Cain was the prototype of hate, the opposite of love. And and John talks about him in verse 12. He said, no, man, don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and slew him. You know, I knew it. I knew that Satan was involved when Cain killed his brother Abel. I knew it. You know why? Because Satan is a murderer from the beginning. And that first murder had Satan behind it. I got a series coming up pretty soon all about this. I can't wait, working on it right now, about the part that Satan plays in the human race and the destruction that he's bringing. And he's, and he was there when Cain killed his brother. You'll see. So that's why John said, don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Here's why. Because his deeds were evil and his brother's we're righteous. See, there's a battle going on between righteousness and evil. They don't get along. It's a spiritual battle. And you're going to be on one side or the other. Ask yourself, what side am I on? Am I on the side of righteousness? Or am I on the side of evil? Well, do you live in love? 
Do you produce deeds of righteousness? That's how you can tell. And by the way, this hate, oh man, it's all over the world. The world is filled with it. In verse 13, John said, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Why? Because the world is steeped in evil, and the Christian is steeped in righteousness. And like I said, they don't get along. They don't like each other. And the word to hate, it's the word to detest. It also means to pursue with hatred. And don't we even see that today? Don't we see the church under attack by the world? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, we do. And it's going to get worse. You watch when they label the Bible as hate speech because it speaks against sin. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So get ready. That's why the key word these days, stand strong. That's what we have to do. Stand strong. Okay? Now, I want you to think of of love as a divine test for sonship. In verse 14, John said, We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do I know I'm saved? Because we love the brethren. And don't you see Christianity divided today? There's a lot of people, they don't get it. They don't get it. Denomination against denomination, church against church, pastors run down pastors, on and on and on it goes. Somebody's not getting the point of what God is all about. They can preach the best sermons in the world. It doesn't mean they get the point about what God is all about. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You see, the existence of Jesus makes everything different. Everything. Totally contrary from the world. So John is saying, let me tell you something. Jesus is real. Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus demonstrated love. And he's a world changer. And he's a life changer. And that's what he wants his congregation to understand in the midst of Gnosticism. And that's what God wants us to understand and the world that we're living in today. Is there a difference between living in life or death? Well, yeah. John said, he who does not love huh, abides in death. Wow, you're dead. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow. See, Jesus talked about that too. He talked about the heart. That there are certain sins. If you don't do them in your body, but you do them in your heart, it's like you did them. And John is saying, you know what? If you have hatred in your heart, you're a murderer. And guess what? You don't have eternal life. I don't care if you sit in the front row in church. I don't care if you serve. You don't have eternal life because you're full of hatred instead of love. So Jesus and Cain, they're opposites. Oh, yeah. John said, we know love by this, that he, speaking of Christ, laid down his life for us. And we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. See how different? 
Love is laying down your life for someone else. Hatred is taking someone's life. That's what Cain did. Cain took his brother's life. He stole it. He killed it. Love is laying down your life for someone else. Wow, what a difference. How different it is to really understand the Christian way of life. Oh, it's so different. I think everybody needs to study First John and kind of regroup their Christianity. So let me give you a recap, okay? And John, this is John's scripture, verse 23, kind of summarizes everything. And he said, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Boom. That's what God says. Believe in Christ as the Son of God and love one another with his love. Okay? So divine sonship is tested by righteousness, by love, and by belief. A confession of faith. I got to go quickly here. 1 John 3.24 The one who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he in him. The word keep means to guard. In other words, the word of God is very important to you. And you do the best that you can to observe it. John said, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come of the flesh is from God. So there it is. Confessing it. Acknowledging, say, yes, I agree that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he's the God-man. He came in the flesh, and on his body were placed the sins of the world. And he died on a cross and shed his blood for payment for those sins. On the contrary, we have other people. Where John said, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Uh Uh-oh. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you was heard is coming, and now is already in the world. I mean, there's always been that spirit of Antichrist denying the existence of Christ. It's always been there. And you know what? That spirit is going to take human form in the Great Tribulation. Look out for that. Glad we won't be here. And if somebody tells you you will, say, no, that's not correct. We won't be here. So we've got the distinction between the two. John said, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. Who are those? Those that deny that Christ has come in the flesh. But he says, oh, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See? So he's saying, who do you listen to? What floats your boat? What do you enjoy? You enjoy listening to the Word of God? That's because you belong to God. You're not interested in the Word of God? You like the things of the world? That's because you belong to the world. And there it is. So, growing in the knowledge of God is exemplified by continual listening to the Word of God. And this also gives discernment between truth and error. And boy, don't we need that today? I'm like, oh yeah. We need discernment between truth and error, especially in these crazy times. So in summary, 
John is arguing against Gnosticism concerning the divine sonship of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is God and he is man and he had a body. Okay. And it's revealed by the righteousness that he revealed and we live in. It's revealed by the love that he loved us with and that we love one another with. It's revealed by the confession of our faith in obedience to his word, which will demonstrate real belief. Okay? Obedience means, I really believe. But to deny application of the scriptures is really to not believe. Because if you believe something, you're going to do what you believe. Your faith will pave the way. Okay? Now, next time we're together, we're going to see how righteousness, love, and belief, how they all work together. And what's so great about this? Like I said, it's very practical. What we need as modern-day Christians today is a practical approach to the Word of God. Because you cannot stop at head knowledge. Because that's not the goal. The goal is not filling up your head with knowledge, with Bible knowledge. That's important. It's a stepping stone. But it's not the end result. The end result is love. Because love, here it comes, reveals God. Knowledge doesn't reveal God. The devils, they believe, they have knowledge, and they tremble. But love, the application of divine love in all circumstances, that reveals God. The more we know God, the more we'll be like Him. The more we're like Him, the more love we're going to show. When Jesus hung on the cross, He showed love to all kinds of people, didn't He? He showed love to his disciple, John. He showed love to his mother. He showed love to those that crucified him. He showed love to the other thief on the cross. All categories of people. And yet he showed love to them all. That's the goal. The goal of our instruction is love. Let's spread the message. Join the Hope Club. Go to newhoperadio.live. Three bucks a week? Come on. Small investment, and you get an email every day in the email box. Nice little devotional. Start off the day right. You help us, we help you. Okay, if you skip a week, that's okay. We'll keep sending them. Don't worry. We just want to work together and get the message out there into this cold, dark world. Okay? All right. Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time.